it's never fun to go through grief and pain. You know, having been through it a few times myself, like the real deep, hard parts of that, it's not fun. And, it, you know, when I'm in the middle of it, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. But always, always at the end is this beautiful rainbow mm -hmm. of possibilities. And just, for me at least, a new sense of who I am in this world, a lightness that comes with that. Those are the wise words of my life partner, Deb Gleason, one of this week's guests on episode 87 of the Unplug podcast. Well, hello and welcome to another life-altering week of the Unplug podcast, where we unplug from status quo and shift the paradigm from head to heart by co-creating a more passionate, compassionate, loving, and interconnected world. And this is the audio space where you will hear powerful conversations with the courageous truth seekers and free thinkers of today's rapidly changing world. And my name is Deb Ozarko, warrior of truth, status quo crusher, and passionate lover of life here to welcome you to your almost weekly dose of authentic expression, truth, critical thought, provoking words, and open-hearted inspiration from my paradigm-busting headquarters in beautiful coastal British Columbia, Canada. And I want to start this week with just a quick plug for my status quo crusher revolution manifesto. So if you don't already have your copy of the status quo crusher revolution, a call to arms for the emergence of humanity 3.0, then you can get it free on my website in both audio and PDF format just for joining my email list. And the audio is loaded with great music to amp up the inspiration. And the PDF file is beautifully designed with lots of inspiring imagery. And I just want to mention that I got a great email from a listener the other day who said that she's printed out a number of pages from the manifesto, including the Declaration of Independence, which I've added as a bonus, just because I was on a creative roll. And they're posted on her fridge and her bathroom mirror to remind her to be her true self. And she says that the words remind her of who she knows herself to be when she derails and forgets, when the world just tries to knock her back down into smallness. So that's pretty cool. So go grab it. Sign up at my website. It's all yours at devilsarco.com. Now, this week, I explore a tough conversation, uh, a conversation that's often swept under the rug in our don't worry, be happy, world of illusion, where truth often makes us squeamish and uncomfortable. But this is a show that fearlessly dives into the hidden truths that so many of us are desperate to explore and speak openly about so that we don't feel so isolated and alone. And often, because of the way our culture is set up, we don't feel safe speaking about these topics. And, you know, quite frankly, we don't even feel safe feeling the full extent of our own emotions. We edit them and package them up and um, protect them to protect ourselves so that we're not judged by this really bizarre culture out there. So this is your safe audio space where we openly speak about hidden truths in empowering and life-affirming ways. And this week we explore the increasingly alarming topic of a human-altered climate on a now permanently altered planet. And this week's conversation is about inspiring what is real within you so that that can be transformed into action because this is what the world needs and we actually needed it many yesterdays ago. 
And it all starts with these tough conversations. But with a collective mentality that runs away from truth and pain, it's often hard to crack through the widespread denial that is so rampant in our world. So it's time for me to get on my soapbox and inject some inspiration into this world because this podcast is all about being authentically human and claiming all of who we are in this rapidly changing world. And when we do that, there are so many expansive possibilities that can emerge if we stop hiding from what's real and we stop pretending that we're not afraid of what's happening in our world and to our world and that it's happening faster than anyone could have predicted, at least in the... uh, in respect to climate change, because there's a lot of crap that's happening right now. Everything seems to be imploding at a rapid rate. And we have to stop pretending that we're not grieving what we once knew because it's no longer the reality that we're familiar with. And we have to stop pretending that everything's going to be okay and that someone else is going to take care of it because it's not okay. And the only one who will take care of it is the person reflected in your bathroom mirror every morning. And as a matter of fact, regarding the climate change conversation, an article was just released by the CBC, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, for those who are not aware of what the CBC is, on November 23rd. And the headline states, Canada warming at twice the global rate, scientists tell Premier's conference. Now, personally, I always take science with a grain of salt because we live in such a non-linear world. And science is so utterly linear. So the fact that scientists are telling us that it's happening, that, that, I mean, it being climate change is happening at twice the global rate makes me realize that nobody actually has any clue what's really going on because climate change is now a runaway problem that affects everyone, all of us around the globe. But this is not about science. This is about knowing on a deeper, a much, much deeper, more primal level that we have messed up badly and that we need to change in an immediate and radical way. And my feminine intuition is telling me that our situation is even worse than what scientists are telling us because they don't know. All they know is their data. They can't feel the pulse of the earth. Now, Now that I've said that, though, regardless of whether you choose to listen to linear science or higher wisdom, that connection that we have, that primal connection that we have to Gaia that our soul still knows, even though our ego might have disconnected us, we all know that the planet is in a deep, deep state of crisis. But here's the real deal. We can label the biggest problems on our planet with names like climate change, Fukushima fallout, that's one that I hear about quite regularly living on the, on the Pacific Northwest, overpopulation, war, terrorism, or whatever we want to call it. But it all boils down to the same thing. The greatest crisis of all is the crisis of consciousness that has separated us from the web of life. So let's face it, we are now in apocalyptic times. And there's a common misconception that states that the apocalypse will be a singular monumental event that will end all life on this planet. That's why they call it the apocalypse, not apocalyptic times, which is more accurate. But like I say, the apocalypse is not accurate. Just like everything else in our planetary history, it's going to take time to play out. Now, how much time is anyone's guess? But one thing that many of us know is that we're running out of time faster than anyone can predict. Now, the word apocalypse simply means the lifting of the veil. And that's exactly what's happening right now. 
The repercussions of our collective, consumptive, and ignorant ways are playing out in ways that are loud and clear. And yet there's still so many people that are still living in denial because they fear the pain that comes from feeling the depths of how dire this situation is. And also because they fear change. But we're at a crossroads where we either change or we perish. And as the species on this planet that is the most resistant to change, we are getting to a point where we're being backed into a corner and we're being forced to change. And sadly, we've had years and years and years of warning, but to no avail. So now the earth is doing it for us in a louder way and she's forcing us to change. So for those of us who adapt along the way, the transition to whatever is next will, at least as far as I'm concerned, it's going to be smoother. And adapting to and navigating climate change means that we have to be courageous, creative, committed, resilient, and resourceful. And all of that comes from the higher level of consciousness that, as I mentioned earlier, is the essence of what we call climate change, is this crisis in consciousness. And we need to collaborate with other like-minded communities so that we can co-create in a cooperative way to create a new paradigm that is no longer steeped in separation consciousness. And I can speak from personal experience that the transformation required is actually really beautiful in its simplicity. I can also speak about how liberating it is and how it feels to not be captive to an archaic mode of compliant thought, status quo in other words. And this transformation is actually all about reclaiming everything that is real about who every single one of us is on a deep, deep core level. So essentially, the apocalypse is lifting the veil on ourselves. It's lifting the veil on ourselves so that we remember who we truly are. And it's also forcing us to reclaim our authentic nature. And as far as I'm concerned, that is a really beautiful thing. It's really tragic that there's just so much destruction that's playing out to get us to this point. But if we actually claim our authentic selves, if we actually claim that part of us, our soul selves, we automatically shift consciousness and that can actually happen overnight. So as the apocalypse continues to play out with the escalating crises that we're facing on this planet, many people are waking up to the choices that are more aligned with life. So they're life affirming. They're choosing to live, eat, and create in ways that honor life. And that's why we're seeing such an uprising in veganism and in simpler living, for instance. Now we still have a long way to go, but change is non-linear, as I mentioned earlier. And with that in mind, it can literally happen overnight. We just need the collective will. And I'm not talking about mental will. I'm talking about spiritual will. And there's going to be many people who are strongly attached to their old beliefs and they're going to dig their heels in deeper in, an, in just any last ditch, desperate attempt to resist the inevitable changes. But as I recently read in a book by Andrew Harvey, he put it very bluntly, either we change or we die. And he's not the first to say this either. I mean, many ancient traditions such as the Mayans, uh, many indigenous cultures, yogis, and even Christians have spoken about this pivotal time in human history where we either sink or swim. Now, I also need to mention that denial and positive thinking may give the illusion that reality is easier to manage, but it also keeps us trapped in consumption and destruction. 
Denial may protect us from the pain of reality so that we keep on keeping on without worrying about changing, but it creates way more destruction in the end. Sameness is the enemy of life. And that's really what denial is. It keeps us in the same old, same old. And we see this in the way things are playing out all over the world today. Same old systems are finally breaking down, but they're also taking life with them. So the same old beliefs are, are destroying life and conformity and compliance just don't work because this is status quo and it's old and it's destructive and it's time for it to go. And the thing about status quo is it also pathologizes pain, which I kind of uh, hinted at earlier in this monologue introduction. So status quo pathologizes pain, but it also pathologizes compassion, kindness, and love. It pathologizes the essence of who we are so that we conform to a consumptive, separated cultural mindset. And I know that this, these are not new words. I repeat these regularly on this show using different contexts, but it's so important actually to really understand this so that we know what we need to do to change. And I find that this pathologizing of pain is a widespread mental illness that gives us the illusion that we're better than nature and animals, but we're not because life is always going to win, even if it means the destruction of humanity. So this is why I'm talking about this um, really important topic of, you know, climate change, navigating climate change today, because we can't solve a problem that we refuse to discuss we have to break the spell of silence and wake up to the action required to transform this world. And recognizing and naming problems is a huge step towards their solutions. It's a huge first step. And facing them emotionally demands courage and a, you know, and a certain trust in our own inner strength. And author Mary Piper writes in her book, The Green Boat, Humans have spent 95% of our history as hunter-gatherers, and we are still hardwired for this life. We are built to find food and shelter, reproduce, spot nearby dangers, and enjoy being with others. It's almost impossible for us to grasp problems on a global scale with our Neolithic brains. So yes, we have Neolithic brains, but we also have spiritual hearts. And when we connect to our spiritual hearts... And that Neolithic brain plugs into the heart. It's a really wonderful servant that is capable of incredible creativity because the Neolithic part of that brain is then guided by higher thought. Now, another thing that we must remember is that we are the voices for the voiceless because, let's face it, we too are the voiceless. We are the earth, we are the trees, the rainforest, the skies, the animals, the fish, the oceans. We are all of it. We are not separate. We're not saving any of it because we're superior. We're saving it because it's who we are. Essentially, we're saving ourselves. What we need to do more than anything else is we need to fall deeply, deeply, deeply in love with this earth again and make her our greatest priority. And with every word, choice, and action, we have the power to help or harm this world. And the simplest and smallest things can sometimes be of great importance. We can be community educators every single time we pick up litter on a beach. 
We're also community educators every time we wear a t-shirt with a hopeful and empowering message. Every time we plant flowers in urban spaces or when we request vegan meals in non-vegan restaurants. But ultimately, when we share our voice for a better world, that is when we're the ultimate community educator. And what's cool is that we never know the full extent of our impact when we live from our deepest, deepest core inner truth. And I'll admit that sometimes it all seems so overwhelming when we look at the macro picture and we just think that we're just a little David going up against a massive, massive, deeply entrenched Goliath. But we need to remember that Goliath is an insecure medieval bully. And we also need to know that we can, we can have all of the courage, we can have all of the motivation, gratitude, and willingness to take action for a better world and take part in a great turning, as Joanna Macy calls it, and work towards a life-sustaining society. But if we still buy into the old notions of power, where we're constantly fighting others, we're crippled because that means we're still trapped in an over 3,000-year-old belief system of power. And this is what we've constructed our, our, our current reality that is still playing out. We've constructed our reality around that. But it's so long outdated. And it's not about fighting it. It's about loving in a bigger way. Not about loving it, but about loving the planet, falling in love with this earth. And you and I both know that we, when we are so deeply in love with any living being, we will do anything for it. And love can create miracles and move mountains. And when I talk about love, I am talking about true spirit love, the powerful force of fierce love that drives us to care and to speak out and to also stand up for truth and actively engage in life through our thoughts, choices, behaviors, and actions. Love is not passive. It is a very powerful active force. And at this point in our evolution, the greatest change can only come from the grassroots. And that's from communities who band together to plug back into the web of life and stand firmly rooted in that truth. My belief is that change can only happen from the bottom up, creating a new nervous system, a new root system, because we've been expending too much energy trying to change things from the top down. But at the top, they don't care about us. They never will. They don't have any need to because they profit they profit from our submission. And they just, like I said, they have no need to change because their continued existence is ensured as long as we either comply or we f- try and fight them. But we don't need to fight Goliath. Instead, we need to create this new root system, this new nervous system that I just alluded to. And this is how we shake Goliath's foundation because Goliath won't be able to survive a new way of being. Goliath is antiquated. It's a very antiquated, patriarchal, outdated, medieval level of suppressive, violent thought. And it's so old. So grassroots? Mm, Yeah, that's where it's at, baby. (laughs) And one of the many things that I've learned from this past summer navigating climate change in my own front yard is how resilient I am and also how courageous and creative I can be in extreme situations. 
And this was very, very empowering for me. And it made me realize that if I can be this way, and if I can tap into those deep inner resources, anyone can. And when we tap into those inner resources, miracles can happen. Now, this week's show is something a little bit different than what I've done in the past. And after experiencing such a a shocking climate change summer, and after experiencing the profoundly deep grief that comes from watching someone I deeply, deeply love, namely planet Earth, watching her gasping for life while denial and indifference continue to prevail, and through it all, figuring out ways to navigate all of this with conscious grace, with all of that happening this summer, as I learned to accept the, uh, the stark reality of a new, very unpredictable future, I found myself instinctively reaching out to other conscious and earth-loving like-minded souls. And that's what inspired me to create this week's podcast. So this week I speak with my wonderful partner, my wonderful life partner, Deb Gleason, who lived through all of this with me firsthand. And many times this summer, the two of us were so stricken with shock and grief as we tried to figure it all out that we were, uh, we felt kind of spaced out and disoriented a lot of the time because what once was is no more. And that uncertainty is very, very unsettling. But, you know, uh, the beauty of it is that we were not alone with our feelings. So I was able to connect with other people who were feeling this same deep, deep grief. And one of these people is a local artist, fellow vegan, and a passionate earth lover. And her name is Gigi Holler. And I invited her to share this week's frank, open, raw, and empowering conversation about uh, how to navigate a radically altered world. And when we recorded this conversation, we were still deep in the throes of the drought. And it actually looked like there was no way out. Now, things have since changed and we're now in our rainy season and thank goodness it actually arrived. But I can tell you this, just because we now have rain doesn't mean that all is well because there's uh, no more time for even a moment of denial and it still feels unstable. It, it, there's, yeah, that's all I can say. It's a visceral, deep, primal feeling of low-grade unease that just doesn't leave anymore. Humans are the cancer, but we are also the cure. Kind of like a homeopathic remedy. Like cures like. And we can easily create the roots of an entirely new system. All we have to do is put our love for this planet and for all life ahead of everything else. And when we act from that place, as I've said before, miracles can happen. And what is a miracle? A miracle is simply an unexpected outcome outside of the realm of the mind. In other words, miracles can only be created when we act from that infinite wisdom that lives in our hearts. So if you love planet Earth and you care about her fate, I have a really good feeling that you're going to be inspired by our very, very authentic, very organic conversation about navigating an altered planet with resilience, hope, and with grace. So enjoy my conversation today with Deb Gleason and Gigi Holler. And you might hear a little bit of clip-clopping around from the dogs and the cats because it was recorded 
in our living room after a lovely dinner. And as I said, it's totally organic. So enjoy. I feel really honored to have two beautiful souls here, one of them being my partner, Deb Gleason, who, if you haven't already heard the podcast that I did with her, do you remember the number? I don't remember the number, but I'll post it in the show notes, but it was, uh, it was a very inspiring podcast, and also a wonderful local artist, Gigi Holler, and uh, just two very conscious souls who care about this planet as much, if not more, than I do. And we're just going to see where this goes. This is going to be a very organic conversation. And so, welcome. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So, Deb has her own podcast. I already did a podcast with her, so I've already (laughs) introduced her to to listeners. And and if they, they don't know about her, she's been my partner now for, life partner for 15 years. And she is a very passionate advocate for compassionate living through a vegan lifestyle. And so I'm very fortunate to always have very delicious home-cooked meals. And Gigi, I'm going to let you talk about yourself. Oh. Because just just a little snapshots that, that listeners have an idea of who you are, your passion for this earth and for life and for the beautiful art that you do and yeah sounds good well i um my name is gigi holer and uh, i live on the sunshine coast with deb and deb and uh i am an artist here and really the uh the landscape and the environment around us is kind of like my muse you know Mm. it's uh it's what inspires me and it's uh what what makes me paint, makes me want to paint. I go out kayaking and I take my camera and I take about, I don't know, about a hundred photos and then I come home and I, you know, I've been in, I've been in the environment and I've been on the water and I see the seals and I see all the life and it's just the peace, the tranquility, the quiet. It's so beautiful. It's, it just needs to get out there into the world. So then I go through my photos and, uh, and I start to paint, but it's really, uh, wildlife and you know being in the wilds that is really one of the most inspiring things so I like to get out there and I like to um I like to see what's out there and I like to share it share it with the world and you paint with your fingers yeah which that's right. I just recently found out that yeah. I think is so cool yeah 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 I use oil pastel I put the color down and I do all the blending with my fingers they're they're pretty calloused right now but yeah, I, I wouldn't be able to get that effect with a paintbrush. And I always say that um, painting with my fingers, it, there's more of a connection. It's more of an intimate process. Mm. So, you know, that's it's about being connected to the painting. And I, I kind of try and paint more with an unconscious mind. So I keep my conscious mind busy and distracted and then I paint with my unconscious mind, and it's whatever comes out, comes out. It's totally intuitive. Mm. Yeah. And it's really beautiful, too. So 
I'm also going to, I'll post a, a link to your website so mm -hmm. people can get a, an idea of your style because cool. it's yeah. so beautiful. Thank you. So where do we go from here? Now, we are all very passionate lovers of this earth. And, you know, we're together here to talk about the changes that are happening that are affecting us in a really deep, profound way. And I mean, I, I love nature. It's you, you say that it's your muse. I feel like it's mm -hmm. mine as well. All of my inspiration for my writing, for the blog posts, for my books, for even for my graphic design work for like the last 20 some odd years always comes from time in nature. And this year it's been really weird. Like this summer, when we got to the stage one drought, it was concerning. And I don't remember where we were at when the fire broke out over the inlet. Were we at stage two? We were already in a pretty serious two. drought, yeah. And, and then the fire broke out. And then I started to really, really, really feel like it hit me hard. Mm. Climate change now is no longer, like I said, out there. It is in my face. But by that time, we'd already experienced red tides in the inlet. We'd seen the disintegrating starfish, that sea star wasting disease that's going on. Mm. So there were all these things that were coming and I was starting to feel really disoriented and disembodied. And this is the kind of stuff that I want to explore is I couldn't cope with it. It was just too much. And then the wildfire broke out and then the, the, the drought. It was like, wow, man, like this is, this is for real. This is for real. It's not just people talking anymore. It's not just me reading about it in the news. This is here for real. So I've been having a hard time navigating the grief that's been coming up for it, the anger, all of these emotions that I talk about repeatedly on this show about how important it is for us to really, really go deep into these feelings and feel them. And so I'm practicing what I preach and I allow myself to actually feel these feelings and what I always would, you know, whether it's anger or sadness or frustration or whatever these sur surface emotions are, when I allow them to move through me, I always get to the grief. And when I allow the grief to move through me, then I can get to the love that actually is inspires action. So whether it's a podcast like this or a blog post or whatever the case may be. But I feel like there's a lot of people who don't ever allow themselves to get there. Mm -hmm. They stay trapped in denial mm -hmm. because they don't want to change or they don't want to feel the pain or whatever the case may be. So why don't we start with that? Just start with that. Share how you both are feeling what you've been going through, how you've been navigating it, or not. And then mm -hmm. just these, let's just talk about what we've been going through. Mm -hmm. Well, I think I first noticed it around 2010, around the Olympics time. And we were supposed to have snow everywhere and we were having the cherry blossoms come out. And, uh, you know, I look around now, we have glaciers all over the place and there are no glaciers around. So it's, uh, it's been very alarming, and I find it quite surprising that I'm one of the only people that notices it. <laughs> like, how do mm. people not notice this? And do you not know um, what the, the long-term effects of this is? And even the short-term, you know, with our drought and everything that's mm. been going on here. So I, um, you know, I think a big misconception is that people think that I'm only one person, what can I do? Mm -hmm. And so I, I say, well, you know what? I'm only one person, but I can do a lot. 
And so I'm, I'm very fortunate. My parents uh, grew up in Germany during World War II. And so I've always been taught about conservation. You know, my mother's been collecting gray water before it was popular to collect gray water and dumps it into the garden. So I started, before we even started having drought issues, actually every summer I collect gray water. And I do, I do, I do what I can. And doing what I can um, makes me feel a little bit better of it. And then educating people and saying, hey, you know, you know do you know what you can do? And I've noticed a lot of people are, are uh, collecting gray water and doing things like that. And, but, you know, on an emotional level, I mean, that's, uh, that's, an, that's another story because, uh, you know, I live in my, in my safe little sanctuary. You know, I'm surrounded by trees and beauty. And, uh, and, and I, you know, I know what I'm doing, but I don't necessarily know what everybody else is doing. So I always have this false assumption that everybody is on the same wavelength as me, which is unfortunately not true. And, <laughs> and I get a big shock to reality. And usually the shock to reality makes me go, oh my God, what are we going to, what am I going to do? And uh, so I, I, I've had uh, some emotional attacks. And uh, the way that I go through my emotional, usually crying, um, yeah, August 12th was a big cry day for me. I remember that because it was my birthday. Mm. And uh, I woke up and uh, I had heard about some old growth that was potentially being logged here. Mm. And I just thought, you know, how stupid, how stupid is that? You know, we've got tree farms all over the place and you want to you want to cut the old growth down, which is a bear sanctuary to boot, you know, all hollowed out. This is where the bears hibernate. And uh, I just woke up so depressed and I was crying all day. And there's protesters up, up at this place. And I wanted to go up and be supportive to the protesters, but um, I wanted to go there bright and early and I wanted to bring them coffee. And you know what, the day didn't, I woke up late, I was depressed. And I ended up going there later on and um and i brought them i brought them a whole bunch of food because they needed food up there and i think the way out of uh the way out of the depression that day was through service work for something that i believe in you know what you have hit something that's really really powerful and really necessary i mean deb and i just finished reading a book called the green boat mm -hmm. by a, a, an author named mary piper and i've actually i reached out to her and she's going to be on the show in a couple of weeks but she says basically the same thing is that it's really important for us to feel that depression and the despair that comes mm -hmm. but not to get stuck in it and the way out is through service work and um and activism some form of activism so taking action yeah and you just really you've just exemplified that right there mm -hmm. yeah yeah i mean i go walk on the beach there's litter all over the place and so, you know, I, I, walk, I walk the beach and I'm picking up pretty shells and driftwood and I thought, okay, this litter is really irritating me. And I always have a dog poop bag in my, in my pocket. So I took out the poop bag and I started filling it with all the litter. And I thought, you know what? I mean, okay, it's, I'm one person, this is one beach, but I'm picking up the litter mm -hmm. and I'm doing something about it. So, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's doing something. Yeah. So there's this metaphor, I really believe that we cannot, and we've seen this repeatedly over like hundreds of years, we cannot affect change 
from the top down mm -hmm. because those top structures are so solid in their love of power that there's no really there's no breaking through them through to them i mean it's like trying to facilitate change from within the box that created the problems in the first place it's incremental at best and goes nowhere at worst on the other hand i really believe that change can only happen at the roots so think about david and goliath goliath is like this giant monster that's what i envision him as this giant monster are we going to try and like is puny little us are we going to just stand one on top of each other and mm -hmm. try and fight him no but if we can knock him down if we can knock him down at the roots level that's when we that's when we can attack goliath and so i think about a tree as well if a tree's root system is compromised it doesn't take too many roots within the system to actually cause the tree's death. So I look at this system that has been created, the politics, media, corporations, all of these, these uh, um, parts within this consumptive system. And I feel like if we, with our, you know, you say that uh, a lot of people don't think that one person makes a difference, but every time one person says no, by not buying something that's been created in China or that comes from a clear-cut product or that's factory farmed, for instance, that's putting, um, that's putting like a spoke in the wheel. So you think about that, that's actually cutting off the root system and we're creating a new, like we're planting seeds for a whole other worldview by saying no. When we do that, we start inspiring others, especially if we speak about it. Like mm -hmm. you said, if we speak about it and we inspire people, or if they see us, like there's been so many times when I've been picking up litter on the beach and people see me and they'll smile and they'll thank me. Mm -hmm. It gives them permission to do the exact same thing. So those are the little seeds that create change. And like I said, we don't have to kill all the roots in the tree to actually kill the tree. Enough of the root system is compromised, the tree goes down. So it's like establishing the critical mass. So if enough of us say no to the system, or we do all of these multiple little things that add up to create a critical mass, that's when we can change this world. So anybody who says, I'm just one person, is perpetuating the status quo consumptive machine that keeps on chugging along, consuming this planet. But anybody who says, no, I don't want to support that. Even if I don't make a difference, what's the difference? At least it makes me feel more empowered. It makes me feel like I'm doing something good. That's really all that matters. That's really all that matters. And then we can inspire others. So basically what I'm saying is that we all do make a difference. Just confirming what, you know, like kind of adding on to what you said. Mm -hmm. And to never think that our actions, our thoughts, our behaviors, and our choices don't matter because they really do. So now you've been so quiet and patient <laughs> and I know living with you, you've been having a hard time navigating this as well, but you've been doing like a really great job and together we've been kind of working it together. So your turn. Wow. Well, yeah, it's been an intense time for me. I think Right now reminds me of 15 years ago when I made the decision almost overnight, well it was overnight, to go from a very unconscious 
McDonald's drive through regular Pizza Hut eating, you know, sort of unconscious about anything I was consuming person to a vegetarian and then a vegan very shortly after that. And that time in my life was, I just said yes. I said yes to a question of, do you really want to know what you're eating? And it opened this door that behind the door was so much more than I ever expected. And it, the reality of where my food had been coming from caused me so much pain. I remember that was one of the darkest months of my life, learning what factory farming really was. And I needed to go through it though. I needed to feel the pain. I needed to process it. I needed to grieve who I was because I was so mad at myself for never figuring this out before. And then from there, I sprung into action. You know, I was not just vegan. I was an advocate for the lifestyle. And it just grew and grew and grew over the last 15 years to the point where now I empower others to take that same step. So I feel like I've kind of been there, done that with the whole, you know, eating thing and the whole factory farming and the animal impacts of our decisions around food. And I'm now entering the same thing with climate change. So I haven't been asleep necessarily about climate change, but I haven't let it in to the full extent either until the wildfires this summer. I think it was early July where we woke up one Sunday morning and the sky was this crazy yellow orange mess. The you apocalyptic know, Sunday. It was mm-hmm. the apocalyptic Sunday. It was, it was unlike anything I've ever experienced and I was scared. I was deeply, deeply afraid because the sun wasn't even there. I mean, the sun was up. But and it was raining ash that day we too. We couldn't see it. It was raining ash. I mean, we were breathing ash. I mean, it was just everywhere. And I thought, this is it. Like, we, we're, we're, everything's changing and it's never going to be the same. Like, I, I just remember that day feeling, okay, I understand what climate change is all of a sudden. And it really, really scares me. And since then, I've done exactly the same thing I did with, you know, the whole issue around what I was eating. I'm now consuming as much material and making myself fully aware of what climate change really means. I've allowed, I've opened that door again, and I've allowed that information in, and I am moving through grief. Like, I am seriously grieving so much right now. All the stages of grief, the classic stages of denial, rage, you know, feeling disembodied, like you mentioned at the beginning, and, you know, not wanting to get out of bed in the morning, that depression that comes with grief. And I feel like I'm moving through it hard and fast. I think because, and I recognize it because my dad died two years ago and it was the first time I felt grief, like really hard, intense grief. And I recognize the feeling in my body. I know that what's moving through me is grief. Grief for the planet, grief for the animals that we're losing, you know, the extinction that is just wiping out, you know, a hundred species a day right now on our planet. I'm grieving for all of that. I'm grieving for even as selfish as this sounds, my opportunity to live on a planet with fresh water and fresh air and abundant wildlife and beautiful nature, I'm grieving that that is leaving too. And I'm, you know, they talk about grief, you kind of move back and forth between the stages and I can see that happening with me. And just yesterday, for the first time in this whole period since the July apocalypse, just yesterday, I felt this wave of energy move through me of now it's time to act. 
and how that manifested in my body and in my life is, you know, although I'm continuing to do my work to empower people towards veganism in lots of different ways, I haven't done anything, I haven't just taken another action, another direct, here's something else you can do with me. And yesterday I just got so inspired to offer a whole new series of cooking classes for people who are just a little bit worried about stepping into this way of eating, they're a little bit anxious about what it means. So a way into this world. Because to me, choosing a vegan lifestyle is one of the kindest things you can do for the planet right now. It just reduces your impact so much. So I found my way. I found my way kind of back out of the dark and something I could grab onto and say, okay, this, this is what I'm going to focus my energy on. So I feel like I've come out a little bit again of that deep heaviness that I've been feeling for the last few weeks. But I'm not saying I'm the clear because I know it, it'll be back. It, you know, it, it does that thing. It kind of plays around until you surrender and then it takes you out for a while and then you, you find your way. So I'm, I'm kind of, that's where I'm at. I'm kind of in this confused grief state where I can see the light, but I'm not fully out. And I guess I'm just, I'm really shocked by what we've done to the planet. Like I'm really shocked that we're not all awake to it. Like I'm just really shocked that we are capable, we've been capable of this kind of destruction that's been hiding under the radar. Mm. And, you know, even when we have our, some political leaders are starting to speak about it, and it's not making the mainstream news. Like, it's just not something we're ready for. So, I, I feel disoriented, I think is the one word that sums it up for me. I'm disoriented by the times we're in and how to navigate them. You know, and one of the things that uh, that we were talking about a little bit before we started recording was that we have so many different labels for what we can call this, whether we call it climate change or whether we call the problem overpopulation or whether we call it, you know, too much violence and war or addiction or depression or all of these things that are manifesting out in the world. We have so many different labels about all of the different problems that are out there, but nobody really ever strikes at the root and the root which I believe very strongly in is a crisis. It's not a, it's not a climate change crisis. It's not like an economic crisis. It's a crisis in consciousness. And this is what is really at the root of all of this is the, the level of consciousness that we have normalized is so abnormal that mm. there's really no words like abnormal doesn't even seem like it really um, sums it up. I mean, you, Deb, you and I were talking about this the other day. I said, the world is crazy but crazy doesn't even like lunacy isn't even doesn't even really um cover it i think there's no word in the english language that actually describes what is going on in this planet and how a lot of these oppressive systems are becoming more mm, paranoid like we were talking earlier about um so for canadians they'll have heard of something called bill c51 which essentially just squashes free speech in the u.s there are so many different bills over there like it, it seems like north america is turning into this police state because as, as long as there's more information out there with the transparency of the internet then people can be more informed and more people seem to be waking up not on a like a global level, but there seems to be some kind of a critical mass where people are waking up and saying no to a lot of these systems, and that's why there's this accelerated degradation of a lot of these systems. And as a result, what they're doing is they're becoming more oppressive. So 
we look at things like Bill C-51 and, and all of these other things that are happening in the U.S. and probably throughout the world too. And it just seems like the level of consciousness is degrading so much more, or unconscious as you were, mm-hmm. you were saying, Gigi, yeah. to the point where there's just this, this heightened level of paranoia that, is, that blows fear out of the water and it's creating even more problems. But at the same time, there's more people who are speaking out and saying no. So even though that's not the norm, so when we go out to the shopping center and we see all these people who are trapped in denial and saying, oh, it's another beautiful day, when we're screaming in our heads, no, it's not, we're in a raging drought and there's wildfires, so it's not a beautiful day. A beautiful day would be rainy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it's like the world has gone crazy. And I'm going to... You know, when, when we were talking earlier, I read something by Joanna Macy. So Joanna Macy is somebody who I've been desperately trying to get on this show. And she has... Joanna, are you listening? Deborah Lee wants you on her show. <laughs> to all of the listeners out there, go to joannamacy.net <laughs> and pester her people to, to get her on this show. But yeah, she's got a very active firewall. So her person is just not letting me near her. But I am, I'm still, I'm not, I'm not going to say no. But Joanna Macy is somebody who I feel really inspired by. She's a Buddhist scholar who is, is, a, is a really powerful environmental advocate, especially in, like, for nuclear, like, she was really big in the nuclear stuff. But she's just, a, like, a really passionate environmental advocate who talks about how we pathologize our pain. And by not allowing our pain ourselves to feel the pain and we become either trapped in despair or we become indifferent and trapped in denial. So she's really a big advocate for moving through our pain so that we come into the world more empowered. So you both have really articulated well how the way through, I'm not going to say out because I'm not going to say that grief ever leaves because it doesn't, but the way through it is through service and action. And that's what I've noticed in my own life, too. And she talks about that, and Mary Piper talks about that in The Green Boat. Um, But Joanna Macy says that there's currently three stories playing out. And in this show, I talk a lot about the paradigm of separation and how we've separated ourselves from the web of life and thus the repercussions that we're seeing in this world that are all playing out simultaneously with all of the violence and climate change and blah, 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 all, all these labels. So she says, number one, the, the number one story that's playing out, and they're not, they're all playing out simultaneously, so not, one is not prevailing over the other. So this is the story of separation that I talk about, where we continue on with business as usual, being separate entities consuming the planet at a voracious rate. Number two is the great unraveling, and we're witnessing this one playing out too, and it's the story of old systems that have been created in the Industrial Revolution, so education, media, politics, although politics probably goes back even farther than that, corporations, so all of these systems that um, that use the power over model, they're starting to unravel, they're breaking down, but at the same time we're noticing ecosystems dying out and we're also witnessing like a mass, the mass, what is it called, they call it the great the sixth, sixth mass, mass extinction, extinction event. Mm-hmm. So you just told me the other day that the Eastern Cougar is now extinct. That's mm. ridiculous. You know, it's, it's ridiculous what's going on. So that's the great unraveling. So that's story number two. So separation, the great unraveling. And then the third story that she speaks to a lot, so Joanna Macy, is the great turning. 
And she says, this is the shift in consciousness that will transform this world into a world that is no longer driven by the patriarchal love of power, but instead the power of love. And when she talks about love, she doesn't talk about the fickle romantic love that we're so familiar with in you know, Hollywood fame, but she talks about the love that drives us to care. So the love that we're all talking about, the love that allows us to feel all the emotions that we are feeling so that they move through us and we come from a place of authentic caring and compassion and action. What else does she say here? She says, uh, we must remember, I'm just re gonna read this little section here. We must remember that we are not humanity protecting the animals, the rainforest, the ocean, and the earth. We are the animals, the rainforest, the ocean, and the earth, protecting themselves through this little piece of humanity named Deb, Deb, and Gigi. Okay, so we, it's, it's a pretty big concept to grasp. Mm -hmm. But that really talks to the non-separation, the unity being plugged into the web of life. And that's exactly the way I feel right now. The passion that I feel for this planet, I feel like I am not protecting the planet. I am the planet speaking out now. So doesn't that just go right back to one person can make a exactly. huge difference? Exactly. And we are all one. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when um, my friend Sylvie says to me, you're in a level four drought and you cannot water your garden, you cannot, you cannot nurture your kale and your, and your cucumbers, but somebody else can eat their burger, that strikes me as really profound. That's the insanity. That's mm -hmm. the insanity. And let's just talk about, you remember statistics better than I do, so. Yeah, so, you know, there's, I think it's called drope.org or something like that, nodrope.org. They put out a chart saying you could, these are your choices. You could either not flush your toilet for six months, not shower for one month, or not eat one burger to have the same impact on the water system. So McDonald's is carrying on with its merry little ways and we can't water our gardens. You know, today I was at the mailbox and there was three different flyers from, with big pictures of burgers on the front mm. with coupons. You know, and it just boggles my mind that we cannot seem to get these systems to talk to each other. You know, the, the biosphere is, is, you know, basically being eaten alive while we're being marketed these messages of, of another big way to eat them. It's like, it's not a Big Mac, it's a big planet. You know, you're just, you're eating the planet every time. And But there's just so much in the way between the consciousness of our daily impacts and the reality of, of how we're shaping our world. There's such a big gap there for some reason. I mean, it's a mysterious thing to me. I know there's fear and there's disconnect and there's the separation that you speak of all the time, but why we can't wake up and just smell the coffee is really beyond me. I think it's a, um, a brainwashing of fluff, you know, <laughs> what, we, what we are sold and the things that we need. And I think a lot of it has to do with consumerism of, of products that really are unnecessary in our lives, that we think enhance our lives, gives us a quick fix, it gives people a quick fix. And, you know, it's like an addiction. 
Mm. When actually, um, the thing that will actually really help us is frugality. Mm. Instead mm -hmm. of, you know, making all this money, spending it on stupid stuff. So what you were saying there is, I, I wrote something, I, I wrote a few little talking points here, and what you were talking about with consumerism mm. just brings up one of the talking points that I wrote down here. And what I wrote here is just, it's just one of those inspired thoughts that came to me when I was out in the forest walking the dogs. And it was, we have to learn to love the earth again. We have to learn to love the earth more than our iPhones, our jobs, our cars and SUVs, our cheap shit from China, mm. our big screen TVs, our computers, our burgers, bacon and chicken sandwiches. And all of the mindless things that we do to keep ourselves trapped in the distraction of busy. And all this is created this disconnect is created at the expense of life on this earth. And it's only in the silence that we hear the voice of our heart that says, no, stop. This isn't right. So I totally agree with what you said about this, this whole consumerism stuff, this, this, this whole consumption stuff that we buy into because we've disconnected from our true selves. And if we're, if we're connected with ourselves, we don't need it. Like talk about, you know, simplicity frugality, whatever label you want to use. But I tell you, man, like, since moving out here, since my mother's death, so my mom died quite tragically in, in 2010, and it really altered my life in so many ways. But it made me realize what's really important. And what's really important is truth, love, and life. That's it. That's it. That's it. And since moving out here, as I expand more into that truth alone, when I plug more into that, I realize how little I need. And as I extract myself from the paradigm of consumption, the more I do that, the happier I feel, the more connected I feel, the more loving I feel, the more purpose-driven I feel, the more useful I feel to this planet. But you get that, and I get that, and Gigi gets that. But what is the gap for the majority of the world that doesn't get that? Or at least let's talk about North America. Like, mm. what's. We all had to go through pain to find purpose and action. So, is that what everyone needs? Or, you know, I, I guess I'm just looking. I'm just looking to see what you guys think about how, how do we move this, sh this along? You know, we don't have a lot of time. I think it's uh, going through the pain and then feeling the pain and allowing ourselves to feel the pain. Most people don't want to feel the pain. Mm -hmm. And so that's where, you know, consumerism comes in or addiction comes in in whatever form, numbing it out, drugs, yeah. alcohol, food, shopping, whatever, and feeling that pain and then letting that catapult us into another direction. Mm. Because uh, I, I think most people don't want to see what's actually happening because they they don't want to change their lives and if they see what's going on then they're actually going to have to change their lives mm -hmm. I mean all this stuff is a distraction you know to see what what reality really is yeah exactly you know I think that it all comes down to like how we're conditioned as kids and yeah. we, we start started talking about that you know when over dinner it starts there. And it's, a, and it's a continuation of programming which comes from every direction. It starts with our 
with our parents who have been programmed, mm-hmm. and then we get it in the media, we get it in magazines, we, we get it everywhere. And, it, you know, every thought, every thought that we have, is it actually an authentic thought of ourselves? It's probably a thought more from somewhere where we've been programmed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And we live in a culture that sets us up for addiction. Mm-hmm. And whatever that addiction may be, whether it's an iPhone or the computer or Facebook or, or uh, you know, drugs or alcohol or sex or gambling or whatever the case may be, just anything to take us away from what's going on inside. Because mm-hmm. if we had to feel what was inside, that would mean we would have to actually face up to who we are mm-hmm. and start reclaiming those fragmented bits and pieces that have been conditioned out of us. Mm-hmm. But that's where the beauty is. That is where the beauty is, and it's never fun to go through grief and pain. You know, having been through it a few times myself, like the real deep, hard parts of that, it's not fun. And, you know, when I'm in the middle of it, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy, but always, always at the end is this beautiful rainbow Mm -hmm. of possibilities and just, for me at least, a new sense of who I am in this world, a lightness that comes with that. You know, I, I often say that when I went from, you know, vegetarian to vegan, which was, a, they were a month apart, so I was vegetarian for a month and went vegan, it's, it wasn't, to me, a significant change in my diet. You know, I'd already lost the meat and the seafood, they were already gone, so it was just the eggs and the dairy. But within three days of going vegan, I felt this lightness in my whole being that I still can't describe in words. And it wasn't, you know, I was losing weight. There's no doubt. Like, you know, that sort of cheese fat was falling off. Mm. But it was a different kind of lightness. It was a lightness of being. It was just light on my feet is how I described it for years. And now I think it's so much bigger than I ever thought it was. It's just, I was becoming a different version of myself. You know, I was letting go of someone else's story and someone else's belief system. And... I was just embracing who I was. I was there was congruency suddenly. You know, I was being the authentic version of myself. And so I guess all that to say, the pain is awful, of course. We shy away from pain so much in our culture, but to come out the other side and be who you truly are, to be the authentic version of you and to be someone who actually can then make a difference on this planet, so it's it actually has a chance to survive us is something that I just encourage people to explore, just to try to sit with, just try to move through instead of shutting it off and saying that's too hard for me. Because everyone is so much stronger than they ever could know. Mm -hmm. We all have these deep wells of courage, deep, deep, deep wells of courage that we just have to to dive into to find out how deep they are. And the thing about exploring our own pain, embracing it, feeling it, is that we come out the other side not only with a greater sense of who we really are, but often there's so much gold in that pain that drives us to a deeper sense of caring, greater compassion, and purpose. You know, and that's why when you know, you both were talking about those examples of, of when you were feeling depressed and allowing that to really kind of take you out. How when, by allowing that, all of it, the full-on brunt of it, 
it is very transformative. That whole process is very transformative as long as we don't block it or stop it. And that's what drove you to that place where you felt more empowered to actually go out and serve and make a difference. So it's kind of like this, we're kind of talking in this big circle of how to navigate. It's almost like I had no idea where this conversation was going to go and I still don't because there's still so much more to explore but what I'm noticing is that we're all in love with this planet. We're all grieving what has, what, like what's really now in our faces. And I remember in 2010 when there was no snow for, you know, for the Olympics. I was living in Ottawa at that time, so it wasn't in my face, but I was aware of it. And I've been aware of climate change for so long. Having an awareness about it is one thing, but experiencing it, living it, having ash raining down in your front yard, breathing it in, looking at that creepy, apocalyptic yellow sky, witnessing like these, these, these horrendous orange blobs of red tide coming in, seeing starfish with their legs falling off, turning into mush because the oceans are turning warmer. That is a whole other realm of experience like ex experiential knowledge and experience are completely different and I, I feel like even though I've lived my life really mindfully and consciously for most of my life now I feel even more impassioned because it's just so tangible and I have no idea what the outcome is going to be I have no idea anymore. Like even last year, I felt more hopeful for a shift in consciousness that was going to change this world. And I still believe that it's happening because I believe what Joanna Macy says is that there are three stories simultaneously playing out right now. I feel like how we can affect change is which story we choose to identify with. So do we stick with the story of separation by remaining trapped in denial and indifference? The great unraveling, well, that's just happening on its own. You know, these old systems, they've been around for way too long. It's time for them to, to implode. And people are waking up and they're starting to say no. But the great turning, that's the one where I want to give my energy. And I feel like, you know, what, what you two are both saying is that where you're, that's where you're giving your energy too. Picking up garbage on the beach, taking food to, to the activists, you know, creating cooking classes creating podcasts like this. These are all little actions. They're not huge actions, but when you put the three of us together, we've already become a pretty powerful force. And you get more people like that doing the same thing, and that goes, goes back to what I was saying about how we start to weaken the root system of this whole story of separation that creates an even more accelerated unraveling so that the great turning can actually happen, so that maybe we do have a chance before all life is obliterated on this planet. Because it's not like, we're not killing the planet, we're just making it uninhabitable for life, which is pretty selfish and arrogant. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't want to be a part of that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think the things that we are doing um, is opening the doors for other people to do it too and creating possibility and inspiration. So inspiring others to do the same thing, you know, why wouldn't you pick up a piece of litter if you're walking down the street? What causes you not to, to 
pick up the piece of litter that's sitting there. And most of the time it's indifference. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I haven't been doing it for so long or someone else will do it. Well, I am that someone else. So mm-hmm. I'm going to do really it. That's really important. Yeah. yeah. And so if other people start seeing I am that someone else as well, then, you know, anything's possible. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, there's that really powerful um, Margaret Mead quote, uh, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens mm-hmm. can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. And I wrote that one down because I love that quote. That's one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. And um, when, I, when I was looking up Margaret Mead, uh, I wanted to know who she was. Because, I mean, I've already, I've, I've known Margaret Mead, but I had no idea who she was. But she's a, she was a cultural anthropologist and author and a speaker and so when I went and did that little bit of research I found a couple more quotes that I thought were really great and she said I must admit that I personally measure success in terms of the contributions an individual makes to his or her fellow living beings that's pretty awesome too so success is not about money or cars or stuff it's about service mm-hmm. and contributing and there's one other one that I wrote down and it's Always remember that you are absolutely unique, just like everyone else. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. 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 So this speaks to a lot of what we're, what we're saying. I did an interview with Sharon Gannon, who's a really well-known yoga teacher. And she's one of these rock star yogi people. And she said to me that there's this, I think it was a Hopi, 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 the Hopi, Hopi. Indians? Okay, Hopi prophecy where she said that this era that we're living in now is um, signifies the end of the lone wolf. Mm-hmm. So the time of the lone wolf is over. And we have become a species of, we've just become so identified with ourselves that we've become selfish. And she went on to say that more now than ever, it's really important to surround ourselves with like-minded community. And I feel like just what we're doing right now tonight is exactly that. And what I've noticed too is as we've been experiencing all of this shit happening in our front yard with everything that's been going on, there are a lot of people who are feeling the same way, the grief and the despair. And we've encountered, Deb and I have encountered so many people who are feeling the same way. Yes, there's a lot of people out there who are trapped in denial, but there are also other people who are feeling really grief-stricken and despairing about this, the state of the world, but they're also feeling really alone. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's one thing that uh, um, many of us feel in this world that is so self-focused is that we feel very isolated and that doesn't help things either because that just keeps us trapped in that despair we don't have the support system to help us navigate these emotions for which for most of us are unfamiliar for us not so much because we're like we've reached that healthy stage in our lives where we know that being emotionally mature means allowing ourselves to feel everything without any labels or judgment. It's like, this is just who I am. Right, right now I'm raging and I need to let that out. Because what comes after that is something that's fiery and transformative is going to do some really great stuff, move mountains. But a lot of people will get stuck. They get stuck and then they feel alone and they feel isolated. And I'm just curious to kind of explore this conversation with you guys about 
the necessity for like-minded community and breaking free from this 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 ultra autonomous model of of existence. Well, I think uh, I think it's important to share how we're feeling and talk about how we're feeling, and uh, and not be worried about what other people are thinking about what we're going through. I think we worry too much about what other people are thinking. I mean, honestly, who really cares, right? Yeah, that's their opinion. But uh, allowing ourselves to be vulnerable and showing that we're that we're okay being vulnerable. I I cry a lot. I'm I'm very. Uh, I'm very emotional, so I mean, I cry when I'm happy. I'm cry. I cry when I'm sad. You know, I I cry, and I've always had this programming in myself, which was, you know what? Don't let anybody see you cry for whatever reason. Maybe it makes me look weak, or how does it make me look? And I've kind of come to the point now where you know what? Who cares? It doesn't matter if I'm crying. It just shows you how I'm feeling about something, mm. and so. By allowing myself to be vulnerable and show people how I how I'm feeling or where I'm at, and for me it comes out with tears, that allows people to also be able to do the same. It kind of gives them permission to feel as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. So I think vulnerability is a big thing there too. It's huge. I remember Gigi when the wildfires were so alive and burning and scaring all of us to death. Mm-hmm being on Facebook mm. and seeing you post something about how scared you were. Yeah, I was terrified. Yeah. Cuz you basically your house was kind of in the backyard of where yeah. the fires could head, right? Yeah. And I remember seeing your post about how scared you were and feel I could feel you. Yeah. And I remember sending you an instant message on Facebook and you know just sending some love and support. And then you opened up a little bit about how you were feeling and you just really were so vulnerable mm. and open with me. And, you know, I remember crying, <laughs> reading your message, and sending you back something. And the content doesn't matter, but what matters is that I was left feeling like just honored by your honesty and that you could share how you were really feeling because you were in the heart of it. Mm-hmm. This was real time, real life stuff. And you, you gave me the permission then to be more vulnerable mm-hmm. about how I was feeling. Mm-hmm. So it does work. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. it's contagious when mm-hmm. we start to be authentic. And and that was a gift. I mean, I didn't want to see you go through that. But at the same time, you opened me up to really feeling the full brunt of what we were experiencing here. And so that's a good thing. Yeah, it was a terrifying experience. You know, this fire creeping down towards us. I mean, it wasn't... It, it, I, I received the wrong information. It wasn't actually heading towards me. But, you know, it made me, it made me realize how, um, how right there in my face it was. And what it also did was it, it made me think it's not out there. It's not someone else. It's right here. And it gave me a lot of compassion. Eventually, I, it gave me compassion. After the fear, it gave me compassion. And it made me realize, wow, this is a big reality for a lot of people. You know, and the other side of that for me was right around that same time, we went to visit a friend of ours who was actually an animal healer and she'd been working with one of her animals. We had to go pick up a remedy. Um, oh, yeah, Bailey. Yeah, Bailey. So we, we stopped in in the middle of all this chaos. And I'd only met this woman maybe once or twice. And I thought she was 
well, we never really had a lot of laughter or expression with her, at least in my interaction. She's very serious and, you know, did her work. And um, we started just opening up with the three of us, just opening up with each other about what we were feeling about what was going on. And the F-bomb started flying. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just the expression of how, you know, the frustrations we were having with the way people around us who were breathing the same ash and smoke-filled air were sound asleep still about the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And we just started laughing and and yelling and screaming obscenities and just really feeling together uh, just the brunt of of um, our, our emotions but you know just really in a very true and like connected way we connected with each other mm -hmm. so deeply and I'll never forget that I'll never forget that moment of just being raw it was so yeah, raw it was really powerful it was yeah. a really it was a cathartic release in an environment where we all felt safe. And that's really key, too, mm -hmm. is feeling safe. And that's why I bring up the importance of like-minded community. Because when we're in like-minded mm -hmm. community, then we will feel safe mm -hmm. to be who we are. Like the three of us together right now. I feel totally safe with you. Yeah. Yeah. And so I can be as passionate as I want. I can be as scared as I want. I can be everything that I, I need to be. And I feel like this energy feeds off of each other and it's actually more healing. Mm -hmm. So again, this goes back to like the time of the lone wolf is over. We need to find other people who feel the same way that we do so that we can express and be scared and vulnerable and open and together transform that into something that's more passionate and action oriented. Mm -hmm. So more of the, like the, the, the notes that I, I wrote for this podcast are Notes that I, I made when I was listening to an, a talk that Vandana Shiva did. And she's a, what does she call herself? I call her a GMO activist. She doesn't call herself a GMO activist. She's more than that. Vandana Shiva is just somebody who speaks about the earth very passionately. And she's just an earth lover. We're going to call her that. <laughs> and she says, the web of life is a food web. And wherever we enter the food web with love and compassion, we become spiritually engaged with this food web. So saving seeds, going vegan, growing our own gardens, embracing a more permaculture model. Anytime we plug ourselves back into life, we re-enter the web of tr life, which is truth, love, and life. They become verbs. And it me means becoming deeply compassionate and passionate in a hugely violent world. And she also said that if the oceans and trees didn't give us oxygen, we would drown on our own carbon dioxide. So she says, Street, trees are not square feet of timber with dollar signs. The ocean isn't a sewer and an endless supply of aquatic life to be consumed with such arrogant entitlement. And yeah, that's pretty powerful. Mm -hmm. We have to stop, I'm just gonna read one more thing that she says, okay? She says, we have to stop viewing the earth as commodities as a stockpile and a sewer for endless consumption. We need to fall in love with the earth once again. We need to remember that we are not separate from the web of life. We need to fall in love with life and respect it for the beautiful gift that it is for ourselves and for all. And so this is what I call the shift between head and heart that's actually going to transform the world. So essentially that's what we're talking about, is, is getting out of our thinking minds Stop rationalizing. Stop talking about the statistics and uh, 
how many years it's going to take before the world implodes and all that kind of stuff. Do Does that really, like, facts and figures and all that kind of knowledge really doesn't do anything. It just kind of keeps us trapped in the realm of the intellect. And the intellect doesn't feel. What we need to do is sink down into our hearts and say, this the planet's screwed. It really is screwed. And I need to do something about that. I as an individual. It really just keeps coming for full circle, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And when you say that, it's it's about accessing that intelligence that is different than that book smarts and, you know, the scholarship kind of material. It's the intelligence of the body. You know, does this feel good to me? Does this not feel good? Does it feel good to consume um, foods that have a chemical signature of suffering? Does it feel good to drive the biggest baddest SUV mm. on the lot because then I look really cool or does it feel good to ride my bike sometimes to the places I need to go if we just stop and ask ourselves does it what feels good what doesn't you know how does this feel in my body our bodies never lie your mentor Louise Lebrun she says that your body never lies it always tells you the truth why wouldn't we trust the one thing that we know will never lie to us mm-hmm. why wouldn't we use that as our as our meter. Why are we looking to the external, you know, realm where people are actually trying to just get our money from us, you know, and trusting that they're telling us the truth. When we have this barometer, you know, living right here, go, it goes everywhere with us. It's right below the head, you know, everything, you know, from the neck down, <laughs> listen to that part. <laughs> <laughs> Shift from head to heart, right yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let the head serve, you know? I, I think that when we, when we access that part, like when we, um, so when I speak about this, the shift from head to heart, what I'm, I'm not saying negate the intellect. Au contraire, I'm actually saying totally the opposite. What I'm saying is that when we let our heart lead us with a higher form of thought, that higher form of thought inspires our intellect to think critically instead of from conditioned patterns. It's a, it's, a, it's a really expansive way of thought. So it's about questioning everything, including ourselves. So it means I question my own beliefs all the time. So whenever I find myself falling into judgment, for instance, I know I need to question that. Where does that come from? Because that's not who I authentically am. Who I authentically am, if I was to go to the, like, peel away all of the conditioning and all of the patterns, is non-judgmental. So where does that come from? So critical thought questions everything, everything that's out there and everything that's within as well. Totally different form of thought. But that is led by the heart. And so when we, when we live from that place, then our head actually serves our heart. And when we serve our heart, then we're, we're manifesting our lives in completely different ways. And we live more like the three of us are living, simpler lives. Yeah. It's, like, it's like it's a connection of head and heart. Yes, exactly. Know? So that we can actually be in balance. Because yeah. we're not in balance now. Nothing's in balance now. No, so, yeah, we live yeah. from the neck up. Yeah, and we yeah. don't even we don't, we're disembodied, and it's not even like anybody's mentally thinking about it. It's just kind of like zombie-like, going mm. through the motions of life, mm-hmm. and and this is what I need, or this is what what I'm doing. Yeah, it's that programming and brainwashing thing again. 
Yeah. You know. And then it's externally manifested out in the world. So we, we lived through six months where we had next to no rain. Mm. And we were all, I mean, we were doing some crazy things in this house, and we still are, that we never would have ever thought of doing, like saving all the gray water to keep the garden alive. Mm-hmm. You know, that it has now become a way of life. And it's something we'll always do now is use the gray water instead of letting it just go down into the, the sewer system. I forget where I was going from there. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so so since we live together, one of the things that I, I think I've spoken about this a little bit on other podcasts is how I've come to realize how much water, even living mindfully all of my life, how much water I've wasted. Mm-hmm. All of these long, luxurious showers that I've been taking because I've been cold in the winter, for instance, or the hot baths, or... Um, what else? Leaving the tap running while I'm brushing my teeth. It's like, man, when you save that water, when you plug the, uh, plug the the little holes where the drains, that's it. (laughs) (laughs) When you plug the drains and catch all that water that you just mindlessly use because you don't even think about it. That's what mindless is, right? Because you're not thinking about it. It's amazing. Amazing how much water we went through. Mm-hmm. I remember the first time I took a shower after we reached level three drought. I thought, I'm just going to take a shower. I'm just going to go in, let the water run until it's warm. I'm going to get wet, turn everything off, lather up, do all my thing, and then let it rinse me off. It was a full, how, how big is our bucket? Four liters? I can't uh, remember. Okay. You? Ten liters? No, it would probably be five liters. Five Five liters? liters. Yeah. Okay, somewhere in between then. Okay. So, big bucket, full. Mm -hmm. Full. And I thought, wow, man, I was in the shower for what, three minutes maybe? Mm -hmm. Total? Like, the water was running for about that long? At the most, maybe four? And I filled up an entire five liter bucket of water. That's insane. So how much water was I wasting when I was taking those long, luxurious showers? How much water was I wasting with bath water? Mm-hmm. How much water do I waste, you know, washing my face, brushing my teeth, all that stuff? And it made me realize that I can't do this anymore. Maybe. All right, I remember now what I was trying to say about balance. Um, coming off of your point, Gigi, which is we had all this, this drought. Then we had... You know, we were saving all this water. And then suddenly, the skies opened up, Mm -hmm. and it rained for an entire week. And it didn't just rain a little bit. We got drenched Mm -hmm. for an entire week. There was no balance. Mm -hmm. None. It's it's just a remarkable external manifestation of what's happening internally Mm -hmm. to people on this planet. It's just, we're so out of whack. And it just... You know, everything looks great right now. Everything looks green and lovely. But we, you know, we're heading back into another dry spell. You know, we, if we can look at that, what's happening outside, and we can, we can turn it back inside, you know, back to ourselves and say, okay, what am I doing that's like that? Because am I living like that? Am I all drought for six months and then I rain for a week? Or am I finding a way to just live my life in a consistent, sustainable, you know, kind of, conscious way because I think when we start to do that we start to to turn our lives into that balanced place then suddenly we start to see things balance outside Mm -hmm. of ourselves Mm -hmm. and then we recently had that big windstorm that Mm -hmm. 
uh, knocked out power in Vancouver for what 500,000 people I think mm -hmm. we weren't as badly hit I don't, were you here yeah that was just this weekend just right? this past weekend yeah. We didn't have an outage at all where we, we were. It was flickering on and off here, yeah. um, but I know that Vancouver was, was yeah. badly hit. And you pulled up an article in the Vancouver Sun that said that, what was the title again? This is the Climate Change Summer. This is the mm -hmm. Climate Change Summer. And shortly after that, a few days after that, I got an email from my mentor, Louise Lebrun, and she she just wanted to know how, we're do how I was, everything was going here because she knows everything that's been happening this summer and she said just checking in to see how you're doing with the wind the rain the wildfires and the drought yeah <laughs> love louise <laughs> <laughs> and it was like <gasps> she like those were just a few words yeah but she put it all together right there and that succinct little sentence mm -hmm. and I thought holy shit this is crazy those four words are one extreme to the other extreme you're right yeah it's one mm -hmm. extreme to the other extreme and it's and you know they they say emotionally people when we're growing we go from one extreme to the other extreme my hope is that eventually we get to a place of balance mm. so yeah. if if we can do that with ourselves then hopefully we can do that on an external level too. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just, I recently took a trip to Ottawa to see my family and coming from what we've experienced here and then going to Ottawa for a week, it was a remarkable change. Instead of, you know, here people are a bit on edge. They're either, they're either really understanding what's going on and they're on edge or they're a little bit asleep. But for the most part, people are kind of, a little more alive to what's been happening here in the climate. In Ottawa, they haven't had, you know, drought or abundant and crazy rains or big windstorms or any of these wildfires. So they basically, I mean, this was my observation and it, it's, it just shows the difference here. You know, we're scrambling to collect every single drop of rain so that we can reuse it on the garden and we're just focused on you know, trying to get through another day of, can we breathe the air, or is it too smoky, or should we be wearing masks, or should we hide in the house? And there, they are dressing as nicely as they can to get in their air-conditioned car, to go to their air-conditioned office, to come home to their air-conditioned house, day after day after day. It's always the same. You know, there's, there's a comfortable kind of flow where no one's really noticing. No one's asking deep questions. They're just, they're just continuing on. And I, I show up, you know, kind of all ragged from this, like, climate change thing that's going on on the West Coast. And we have a family function, and all my cousins and aunts are asking me how I'm doing, and I'm telling them the truth. I'm saying, you know, it's been really, like, a, a crazy time. And there's this, like, wildfire across the inlet, and there's, there's been a water. And, and I got the same reaction over and over and over, which was this blank stare. Mm. Almost of a, how dare you? You know, we're trying to have a nice family time here to um, I don't understand what you're talking about. Like all these, you know, I got this, this is the reaction and the energy I was getting back. And I thought, wow, they're not ready for this conversation. Mm -hmm. I've been getting ready for this conversation all summer and I'm in the conversation, mm -hmm. but they are so not even in the conversation or even thinking about having the conversation. And so it was a really huge eye opener for me about 
when you live in the eye of the storm, how it changes you mm-hmm. and how you become that more compassionate and aware and vulnerable person. And then you take it out into the real world or the comfortable world and they mm-hmm. think you're kind of crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's inconvenient. Yeah. It's inconvenient. I go out for dinner with my parents and I'm inconvenient because I'm vegan. <laughs> <laughs> my mom says, well, can't you just eat something normal? <laughs> And, and and my mom's a gardener, and I said, I said, well, how about we put Roundup all over your garden? <laughs> she goes, no, I can't do that. And I said, yeah, that's because those are your values, and this is one of my values. <laughs> you see, that's, that's what I mean about the lunacy of yeah. normalizing the abnormal. Yeah, it's yeah. so crazy yeah. how. And, and so what I was talking about with Joanna Macy, how she talks about how we pathologize pain, but we also we also pathologize. Compassion. Mm-hmm. We pathologize love. We pathologize everything that's really true and essential within us. It's crazy. It's crazy. But so it's important for people like ourselves and the people who are listening to this podcast to dare to care and to put that part of themselves on display. And I actually did a podcast with a fellow named uh, Steve Pavlina episode number 70 that's going to be in the show notes and he says that too he says well actually that's I'm just paraphrasing his words he says we need to dare to care and we need to boldly put that part of ourselves on display and those are the um, when I was talking earlier about that metaphor about how when enough of a, a root system of a tree is compromised the tree dies well we become the seeds for a new worldview and we start compromising the roots of this old system by daring to care. Mm-hmm. Isn't that weird, eh? Mm-hmm. And living out loud passionately. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. One of the things that we've kind of touched on and sort of skirted around the edges in this conversation is simplicity and living more frugally. And this is a conversation that I think is really important to really kind of dive a little bit deeper in. I mean, my perception is that a lot of people maybe understand the concept of simplicity, but don't live it because they feel like it's too hard, (laughs) which is kind of ironic because it's simplicity, right? (laughs) So it's about letting go and being cool with, with less. And I'm going to, uh, I want to start this by saying that for many years, Deb and I have thought about putting together some kind of emergency kit for an earthquake, a drought, whatever the case may be. Like, I never really thought that, you know how you kind of put it in the back of your mind, you think, oh, one day I'm going to do it. Well, because of what's been happening this summer, we finally, finally did it. And it made me realize how little I actually need, even though we live a pretty minimalist life to begin with, made me realize what's really important. And all that's important, really, is my family. It's the dogs, cats, and dad. That's all that I really, really care about. Now, for the package we've put together, we've got a tent, we've got some sleeping bags, we've got dog food, cat food, we've got the cat carriers, and you know, talking about the practical things, uh, what else you put it together? You, I don't know, just flashlights, a way to cook food. Just really, really, it's just the very basics that we would need to survive for, say, a week if we had to 
head up the mountain because there's a tsunami or something because we're so close to the edge of the ocean. And I, you know, I agree in doing it. I realized how little we need to survive for a week. We have so much, you know, we, even though we live simply, we have this house with all these rooms and two bathrooms. And why do we need two bathrooms? You know, this whole water shortage really made me think that through, you know, why do we need two toilets? Why do we need two sinks? You know, it's, it's kind of, it seems almost really overboard, even though this is a simple bungalow. And so when we pare it down to what do we need to survive for a week, it's basically food and shelter and a way, you know, a way to stay warm and keep everyone fed. And, and so why, why do we have all this other stuff all the time? And when you pare it down even more, what is it that really matters to you? Yeah, you know, if, if we did have to run up the mountain with our survival gear and everything else was lost, it wouldn't matter to me at all. As long as we had all the, the beings that we love with us. You know, that's, that's the core. That's, that's all that matters to me. Yeah, it was the same for me. I, I, was, um, I was told I might need to evacuate during the fire. So after a momentary uh, fear of... Uh, it, I was immobilized at first, mm. you know. The, the uh, fear completely immobilized me. And then I th kind of wandered through the house, a bit like a zombie, because being faced with that situation um, is scary. And, uh, and I thought, okay, what's important? The question was, what is important? And it was the dogs and the cat. And that's all I need to get in, in, in the car to go. And then the next thing was, uh, you know, all the stuff in the house. I was looking at all the stuff in the house. And uh, it just wasn't important. It kind of just fell away. And even all my artwork, I was thinking, you know what? It can all burn. Mm. Because you know what? I, I have it inside me. I can create more. That's wow. really powerful. Yeah. yeah. You know, one of the things that I was telling Deb too, when, when we put this emergency kit together, I really want to have everything on an external hard drive, all of mm -hmm. my writing. Mm -hmm. Because I put so many years of work into all of this stuff that I'm finally now distilling and putting into the world. And it is the voice of my heart for years and years and years of... of of growth and inspiration and tears and grief and everything. But now that we've been faced with the reality that we've been faced with, I feel exactly the same way mm -hmm. as you. So when the way you said it was so eloquent mm. about I have it all inside of me. Mm -hmm. It never leaves. It's still there. Yeah. Yeah. So even that hard drive doesn't matter to me yeah. anymore. Yeah. Yeah. But really, let's face it, if we get to a situation where there's a major tsunami flood or everything around us burns, we're probably going to come out of that to a whole other world. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And a whole other person in that whole new world. Mm -hmm. And who even knows what would be important anymore? You know, it's... We can't know till we're there. And I couldn't know what my life would feel like until I saw that ap apocalyptic sky mm -hmm. on that Sunday morning. I couldn't know what it could feel like to be worried about just breathing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. breathing yeah yeah so you know paring it down to simplicity I realize how valuable and how how much more I appreciate the simple things in life that I've taken for granted like water like clean air 
like vibrant oceans. You know, all of these things are like we're in a precarious, uncertain. We're at a, we're at a time where we just don't know from day to day what to expect, and we are speaking, you know, from a certain geographical part of the world. But that is, this applies to everybody. Just because somebody might be living in Ottawa and might not be feeling it the same way we're feeling it, they are, as we know, because we've lived there. They're having extended winters, mm. like long, long, long winters. Maybe they're not life-threatening, like a fire or a drought is, but it's still like a dramatic change. So the changes might not be dramatic for people who are listening right now, but you know, if they're really honest with themselves, they'll notice that that things out there are not the same anymore, mm -hmm. and that the new normal is uncertain. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And that's the hard part. I think that's the hardest part to navigate is the uncertainty. Even though all of my life I've known that the only certainty is uncertainty. Mm -hmm. Now it's even more uncertain. Mm -hmm. So navigating that, I feel like it's really, it's more important to be more grounded in ourselves, even though I've, you know, very clearly said that a lot of the time I feel disembodied because I just don't know what to do. But I'm finding more and more now that it's important for me to have a solid practice that brings me back to myself. So meditation is more important for me than ever. Mm -hmm. My time in nature, that's been, that's been the thing that's been disorienting for me the most because time in nature has been my muse, my sanctuary, my way home, like to my heart. Going out into nature now and witnessing everything drooping and looking so parched and sad makes me feel sad it makes me feel like even my sanctuary has been taken away mm -hmm. so what can I do <laughs> when everything that I love is being devastated before me and the things that bring me back to myself what can I do now and so meditation seems to be the most important thing right now but I'm curious to know like what how you bring yourself back, how you keep yourself centered. Also, like feeling, like what we've been talking, feeling, that's really important too. But do you have any practices or... or I usually go out on the water in my kayak and uh, I find that's one of the most peaceful and serene places. Just to be. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I don't even kayak. I just go out, go out a bit and just float. Hmm. Because, uh, you know, it's just being right there in the present moment and not, uh, you know, my mind goes to peace there. So I don't, I don't have to think about anything. I don't have to worry about anything. And the other day I was actually, I was cranky for some reason. I don't know what was going on. But uh, my, my solution was go down to the beach. And I went down to the beach. It was a little windy and the wind kind of just took it away. Mm. The wind just took whatever was going on away. Mm. And I, I was able to go home free. Mm from whatever was going on. You know, I just recently read a book by uh, a Canadian journalist who I'd like to get on the show. Her name is Elena Mitchell, and she wrote a book called Seasick. It's all about the oceans. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was another thing, too. Like, sometimes ignorance really is bliss mm -hmm. to some degree, because now that I know even more about how sick the oceans are, mm -hmm. even when I go to the ocean, I feel a sadness. Mm. Like I can feel, I guess I'm really energetically sensitive, so I can feel 
the energetic shifts that are going on. Even though I don't know a lot of the, uh, the minutia of like what's going on in the world, I can feel it. And so I'm finding it, I'm finding it like more challenging to, 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 to navigate the emotions. And so I'm finding that I have to bring myself back to the simplest things that I possibly can to keep myself grounded. And time in nature still brings me back to some degree, but I still see what's going on out there. Like, you know, the Salal leaves that, you know, normally are so vibrant around this time of year are, they look, it looks like it's fall out there, like all the leaves that are falling and changing. And then the oceans just, again, like it brings me back to what I saw earlier this summer with the red tides here in the inlet. I don't know if, if you saw them on, on the that. other side. Yeah, they were pretty bad. It was scary. Mm-hmm. And um, and then the disintegrating starfish, just those are really firmly burned into my mind, and and I'm grateful because it means that I'm not afraid to look at, look away from the truth. But at the same time, it breaks my heart, mm-hmm. and it brings me back to Joanna Macy's work where she talks about not dismissing the despair allowing it to stay as long as it needs to stay within, but allowing it to move through in a way that's transformative. So I don't really know where I'm going with this, but I guess it's, I guess what I'm doing is, is I'm coming back to the simple practices that bring us home, living a simple life, what's important, what matters, and I guess shining a light on how, what, we've been conditioned to believe is important and this world isn't. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I think, um, I understand the despair and I have this belief that in the end, Mother Nature is the strongest of all. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was that little video snippet that um, I saw, Julia Roberts was narrating it about Mother Nature. And one of the lines was, and she was speaking as Mother Nature was speaking, and Mother Nature said, I do not need you to survive. <laughs> and so every time something happens, like an earthquake or, or a fire or a tsunami or whatever, to me that is a warning sign to us, or a red flag, or, you know, do something. And it's Mother Nature saying to us, I don't need you mm-hmm. to survive. And so for me it's like, okay, you know, I don't have kids, so I don't worry about it. But to me, it's like, you know what? Mother Nature is going to look after it. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, there's, there's a lot of reasons to, um, to, to, for despair when we look at what's going on out there. But for me, it's like, you know what? I think Mother Nature is stronger than we are, you know, and, and, and this uh, connection that the earth has, you know, by showing us these signs of um, earthquakes and tsunamis and what have you, uh, that's basically telling us, it's giving us a sign, it's giving us a message that in the end, nature will prevail. And nature, the things that I see is there's a fallen tree, but there's five trees growing out of it. Mm -hmm. So the resilience as well. So for me, that's hope. Yeah, yeah. So, that's really yeah. That's really important. Yeah, yeah. I, I have hope. So I'm very aware of what's going on, and I have 
very healthy boundaries so that I don't go into a really heavy duty depression. But the awareness with boundaries um, and then and then the hope is kind of a good combo for me. That's how I kind of navigate through the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. For me, I think it's what I've noticed, especially in the last last week, is that when I feel the most sort of connected to myself and at peace, is when I stop and I and I just take some time to notice the way our dogs are interacting with nature. Mm-hmm. You know, watching them on a hike, watching the way they jump over things and sniff things and, you know, run into the water and run out of the water and all of the, just watching the way they make their decisions. Mm-hmm. They're just so present. They just want to consume the smells and the, the textures and in this fantastic way, this dreamy way almost to me. And so just, being with them and staying present to them just brings me back. They're such huge teachers. And then I've had some moments in the last week where I just sit and I, I just feel the love that's going back and forth between us. And that is when I really realize this is, these guys are in the place where we need to go. Mm-hmm. They're, they're just, in. they're ready to receive, they're ready to give, they're just full on mm-hmm. present. That's where I start to come back. Mm-hmm. And it's unconditional love. Yeah. 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 If, I'm a, if I'm in a state, I know all I have to do is go to my dog. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I can snap out of it because it's unconditional love, which I don't think I've ever received from any human. Yeah. <laughs> and unconditional joy, too. Yeah. yeah. It makes yeah. me think of uh, this past weekend, I... I fell into one of those grief places. Um, well, what happened is I was at the hairdresser and uh, I was speaking with, with my hairdresser and we were just having a conversation about how strange the summer's been. Like, I mean, it's a topic of conver- hot topic of conversation around here. And so we were chatting about that and I asked her, you know, how she's been feeling about it. And so she, she told me what she's been feeling, which is similar to what we've been talking about. And she said, but there's an additional... Um, layer of grief for me because my mother's in the process of of dying Mm -hmm. and I felt so much compassion for her having gone through that myself and so you know she wanted to know a little bit about my story with my mom you know because I think that's something rather than not talking about it it's more healing to talk about Mm -hmm. it so when she invited the conversation in I was more than willing to to talk about it with her and when we were chatting just as I was finishing the story, the phone rang and it was the hospital telling her to come over right away because her mother was dying and there might be 30 minutes before she leaves. They thought it like it was imminent. Mm. And it was really strange being there with her in that moment. And she, it was just the two of us in the shop and she started to tear up and she looked at me and she apologized. Mm-hmm. And I said, Angie, I am the last person you have to apologize for feeling. And I said, I want to live in a world where we don't have to apologize for what is real for us, especially our tears and our grief, because this is how we actually connect to what's real within ourselves and how we change the world 
<laughs> when we feel what's real, we change the world. We do. And uh, and it was really it was really interesting for me because when I was driving home, like after I left, and you know she shut down the shop and she went off and and uh, went to be with her mom. I was driving home and I realized that the grief that I was feeling as we were having the conversation about the earth was no different than the grief that I was feeling when I was talking about my mom, was no different than the grief that I was feeling for what she's going through right now. Grief is grief. And so I, it just it left me feeling really weird. Um, mm -hmm. Like, because again, I just, there's so much stuff that's coming up with all of these emotions in the world, all of this loss. And I went out with the dogs that day and we were over by Sergeant's Bay. And we were, so this is it's a beautiful hike and there's a little section where we climb up a little area and there's a bit of a, a, a vista, a little lookout area. And I just sat there, I could feel the emotions welling up in me because movement is really powerful for bringing that up for me. I could feel it just ready, like I was just ready to just burst into tears. I'm like you, I cry over everything. Deb can vouch for that. <laughs> Happy tears, sad tears, tears all the time, but it's all good. And anyway, so I, it was just right there on the edge. And as soon as I got to the vista, I felt it. And I sat down and it started to come. It just started to come. And Dharma, so for listeners, we have three dogs, Zoe, Francis, and Dharma. And Dharma is a, a Rottweiler mix. All of them are, are uh, SPCA dogs. And Dharma came and she sat right next to me and she snuggled right into me to the, and she pushed my arm up so that I had my arm around her. Mm -hmm. So it was, so the two of us were sitting there, I had my arm around her. And Francis is, um, he's my new little soulmate. And he went off and he was about 10 feet ahead of me and he was sitting out and he was, looked like he was looking out at the vista. And Zoe was kind of digging and doing little doggy things. But Francis, when he was sitting there looking out, I actually felt the presence of two previous soulmates who passed away, so Jesse and Marley. And they were both, I felt their presence really, it was palpable, one on either side. Marley was on his left and Jesse was on his right. And in that moment, even though I was getting like this energetic signal from departed souls, in the presence of these new beautiful souls, I felt like this is the most real part of my day right now. And I came home to Deb and like, it was just one of those days, you know how that you have those days where you're just kind of wiped out by grief. So it was one of those days where I was wiped out by grief. And when we were sitting at the end of the night, we were talking together, I said, the most real part of my day was that moment when I was sitting up there at the Vista with, with the dogs, including the departed dogs. <laughs> And it, it made me realize what you guys are talking about, about how the animals just bring us back to presence. Mm -hmm. And these guys were amazing at that. So how about if we wind things down by, by like, let's just kind of summarizing how we navigate. We started this off navigating climate change, but actually what it, what it really sounds like is that it's navigating the emotional landscape that comes with mm -hmm. climate change mm -hmm. because of all of the uncertainty that emerges from it. So let's, uh, let's summarize it. You started things off really in a powerful way by saying that every choice matters. Mm -hmm. 
we all matter. Yeah. Yeah, everything we do matters. It doesn't matter how big or little we think we are. We're actually pretty big. I think we, sh we sell ourselves short by thinking that we're small. Mm -hmm. So all of our little actions end up uh, being big actions. It all adds up in the end. And I think um, the, the vulnerability part and the feeling everything is, is important and balance. You know, I know we're all going to go from one extreme to the other. I go from one extreme to the other. But eventually I get to a place of balance myself. I feel pretty balanced now. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Yeah. yeah. And I think having like these, these open-hearted conversations with people who we feel safe with mm -hmm. is really important. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if I can add much more to what you said. To me, it's about it's about staying real through all of this. Because sometimes it feels so unreal. It feels so out of out of the realm of understanding that staying connected to what's going on in our bodies and in our minds and just looking at it and just witnessing it, so that we at least have that. You know, we can't control. We can do our parts, but there are going to be things that are out of our control. But we can always come back to ourselves and, you know, ground ourselves with whether it's our dogs or hikes or going kayaking. Mm -hmm. But finding our way back to who we are, because we are, as I said earlier, we are, we are so much stronger and more powerful than we could ever imagine. We really sell ourselves short that way too. Mm -hmm. And so staying in that place of just being curious about how strong we can be through these times. I think we'll bring that balance that we need, not just for the climate crisis, but for everyday living. And service. Service. Yeah, absolutely service. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Compassion, love, service. Awareness and continued education. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, always being brave enough to grow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you both for this really, really awesome, empowering, exploratory, organic conversation mm -hmm. about navigating whatever, everything. <laughs> <laughs> navigating the new paradigm. What's going on now. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for doing what you do. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I live with you and I... I hear your wisdom come out of me all the time, but wow, do you ever pack it together nicely when you do these <laughs> these podcasts? It's been a real pleasure to sit and listen to you. <laughs> well, that's my powerful conversation with Gigi Holler and Deb Gleason. Now, humans are social creatures, and as a result, we tend to follow what others do, even if it's not always aligned with what's true inside of us. But that said, every one of us has a leader within who is eager to be unleashed into the world. So my challenge to you is to release the leader within. Set her or him free and be the one who boldly dares to care. Be the one who boldly takes action for a better world. Be the one who picks up garbage along the trails and the beach when so many others just mindlessly walk by. 
Be the one to bring food to exhausted activists. Be the one who connects with the homeless person rather than looking the other way. Be the one to rescue the injured animal when all others just drive by. Be the one who organizes veg fests, creates podcasts, blog posts, music, or art that brings attention to what matters. You have a voice, and that voice is uniquely yours. So express it. Be that person. Be the change. And be it now, because that's the only way that change can happen. It's not going to happen from someone else, because you are that someone. You are the one you've been waiting for all along. And there's a really great quote by Lily Tomlin that states, I always wondered why someone doesn't do something about that. Then I realized I was that someone. And this applies to every single one of us. And until we claim that someone within, status quo continues to consumptively just chug along, destroying everything in its path. Nobody is coming to save us. We're the ones who created the problems in today's world And we are the ones with the solutions. We are the ones who can uncreate them. And it always, always, always starts with you. So I thank you deeply for listening to today's today's really important show. And if you're interested in knowing more about Gigi and Deb, you can learn more in the show notes for this episode at debozarco.com backslash 87. I'm just going to be naming these podcasts by their numbers. I think that's a whole lot easier. So we must work together and we must help each other out. So I'm just going to be asking you for your help. Once again, spread the word of this podcast. It's an important message. And the more people who listen to it and who actively engage with it and take action, the better our chances for changing this paradigm from shifting it from head to heart, like I talk about. So tell your friends, tell your family, your coworkers, just, I don't know, like I say, (laughs) just strangers on the street, tell everybody and leave an iTunes rating. Please just go in there. Just do it. Okay. Just do it and help me co-create the better world that we all know is possible because I cannot do this alone. And I figured that this now is a great place to end this week's show. May we continue to open our hearts on our evolutionary journey of awakening to the point where our heads can no longer make sense of it all. As always, I thank you for listening. And remember, live with passion, live with purpose, change the world.